Welcome to the Truth CSGO Podcast, episode 47. We're talking about week three of the London Face It Major 2018. We're talking about roster changes like Flusher to Cloud9 and Scream to Fnatic. And we're doing a little preview of ESL1 New York. Hey guys, this is Lefty. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. Oh, this is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in? Right, let's get into this last week of the major toot sweet. Actually, I should call this the champion stage. It was all about the champions, who was going to be the champion. And uh, we started off with Big versus Na'Vi in the quarterfinals. Began with a pretty full-on arm massage from Kane, uh, which was applied to Electronic. Kane is the erstwhile coach of Na'Vi, and Na'Vi did the absolute rampaging. In this series, they beat uh, Big on Dust 2, uh, 16-2, and then on Nuke, they beat them 16-6. Seemed as if Na'Vi had actually done a bit of research here on the old Gob B, and uh, this pushed Big out of the tournament, obviously. Um, you know, as good as Big kind of it seems in these events, uh, in terms of the preparation and basically the the genius sort of, um, how do I say it, in-between game interviews with the Gobfather, uh, it always seems like they get to a certain level and either run out of steam or run out of anti-strats or just kind of run out of skill. And it always it's always kind of exciting when they get to these levels, uh, but a bit of a sort of deflationary letdown when they don't really push any further. Um, but I hope that lineup stays together. Uh, long enough to sort of deepen the strat book and lock in the cohesion. We saw Complexity versus MIBR made in Brazil, and Complexity made the mistake of facing Fallen on train in the first map, going down 4-16. They did manage to put up a better fight on Inferno, getting 12 rounds. Stan the Man had the highest rating, actually, overall in Complexity, which which I, it always feels a bit like the team is sort of playing scared when it's your oldest or most experienced player, or your IGL, in fact, the person who's not supposed to be top fragging. And uh, when you go against legends like Fallen, Cold, and Fur, uh, I can understand that the big, the big sort of the big stage nerves might have kicked in for the complexity boys. What's disappointing here is actually Shazam, who's been on the scene for a while, more experienced than other players like Yay, aka the Smile, um, and 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 he's also played you know the old SK trio, for instance, before um, a notable version, a notable instance of that was at the ESL Pro League Season Six Finals. Uh, and SK beat them 2-0. Uh, so being the bottom fragger might have something to do uh, for Shazam, actually, with the fact that they played Train, which is very much an Orpah's map, uh, but it's still disappointing um, showing for him. What's also telling is that Fur on... Um, I keep on wanting to say SK. On MIBR's side, Fur was a top fragger for this series, which, considering his play style, which is aggressive, pushing, lurking, suggests... Also, that complexity were playing scared. So, uh, this is probably just a, an experience thing for these younger players, these less experienced players. Either way, complexity are now back on the map. And like we saw with Ghost Gaming in the last few weeks, they give another reason for you damn Yankees to get up in the morning. Um, MIBR sort of did manage to excite a few people with this series, but um, it would all prove for naught. Next, we saw Liquid versus Hellraisers. This is what a, a much better matchup. Yeah, for sure. 
The first map was Mirage, and it went the way of Liquid, despite a very impressive clawback from Hellraisers. Dust 2 then went to Hellraisers, and then Cash went very convincingly to Liquid. And Hellraisers had some uh, very impressive plays from Woxic and Bondic especially, but not all five members had the same cohesion and weren't firing at the same level as Liquid. But if they can manage to hit that simultaneous peak in the future, this is definitely a team that can take trophies. Um, and uh, Issa, in fact, did end up being one of the highest rated players at this major, which was actually his first major. So he's here to stay. We're going to see a lot more of him and uh, who the person who seems to be his BFF, which is uh, Woxic. Now, we had FaZe versus Astralis, which for many was the match of the major. Um, map one was Mirage, and it felt very quickly that Astralis had FaZe's number, unfortunately. And they seem to have picked every single strat and play that they had in the T-side. I did mention last week that uh, when FaZe were playing a bit slower in their strats, it seemed to work out for them, but they were playing a bit too slow here. And it was almost like Nico was calling a bit too much. And some of their strats seemed a bit insane, the FaZe guys, spending all their time over near B and then sort of returning to A without securing Palace at all, just going through A main. And even at my level of MG, you sort of know chances are that someone will have pushed into Palace. And that makes holding the A-bomb site very difficult, let alone getting onto it. FaZe were missing smokes. They were looking rattled. They were not talking much. And I just don't get how they're not better prepared than this. It's possible that they just didn't, they weren't quite aware of what the problems were at the time. One of the best ways, though, I think, to contrast these two teams is to look at the two pistol rounds. I thought that was quite telling. Both teams did the exact same fast push A on their pistol round. But after the plant, if you go back and watch, the phase players basically just sat on site, whereas Astralis moved out into some very interesting and weird off angles, calculated to cut them off at like every rotating position, the kind of bizarre angles that you wouldn't even expect them to be at. They did it also um, <coughs> in uh, in the Mirage game against Na'Vi. I think it was Na'Vi, or maybe Liquid. Basically the identical play, and it's still so weird, that you could do it twice in a tournament and it worked like a charm both times. And it's just the clearest example of the innovation that Astralis uh, bring into their game and brought to the major and the lack thereof on phase. And I think I really started to identify this sort of play as being so valuable when I spoke to Cold Zero earlier in the year because one of the most memorable things he had to say was that he dedicates a large part of his practice to creative time. And that just means coming up with new strats, new utility combinations, new plays, just having fun in the server with one or two of the other teammates, trying to come up with something new, little bits of new meta, little bits of new combinations that if they practice enough can just come out smoothly in a game or they can try it in a new game and if it's new it's always going to take people by surprise surprise is like half of why you get a frag in counter-strike now from an 11-4 half phase did fight back on the ct side up to 11 rounds they'd done some homework on astralis as well i thought carrigan did quite a good job of holding b-side actually for the b-side players you might recall in my interview with alistair from order he was talking about um watching carrigan for holding b-side on mirage he actually had a quite a new interesting kind of place to sit i thought on mirage uh, when he was holding b so check that out if you guys found that interview interesting um but Astralis won it out 16-14. Inferno was actually a closer game, the next one, in terms of the rounds, but Astralis won this 16-12. And after this match, there were actually a lot of calls for changes to this lineup. We already heard rumblings of Robin, perhaps hanging up the headphones. Robin, of course, the coach. He had his second child, uh, I think, just before this match or a day or two before. Uh, it's possible FaZe would make the coach change, I would imagine, before changing any of the players. 
But what's missing seems to be that regular sort of evolving innovation. And I would recommend listening to DDK's latest podcast episode where he interviews Zeus from Liquid. Zeus is the coach of Liquid for a glimpse into the continuous evolution that that guy is implementing into the team because it's quite impressive. I, you know, it's one thing that the guy says it. Who knows whether it's actually being implemented in the way he says it. But um, it, it was quite impressive to me. I have no idea if Robin is doing the same thing in uh, phase, but I kind of doubt it at least in the way they play. The issue, of course, is who the hell would FaZe get as a replacement coach for Robin. And I think the issue is getting someone young and hungry isn't really going to work because FaZe is obviously a team of massive egos, and rightly so. You know, No one would uh, would hold it against, say, Olaf Meister for having an ego, although you know, I'm not sure it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a big one. I'm not sure it's arrogance, but these are guys who've achieved a lot. Um, so it's a difficult thing, and it's clear that Carrigan and Robin just aren't providing the iterative practice and development that teams like Liquid and Astralis are. This tournament made it very clear that a gap had widened between the top tier and sort of the, the next tier below, and they still got the craziest lineup on paper in the scene. Um, even Olaf Meister, who's not even the star of the team, was the highest-rated player at this tournament out of phase, and I think one of the highest, uh, the top five highest-rated player in the whole tournament, maybe, maybe number four. Um, so that's why it's hurting to be a FaZe fan currently. <laughs> um, let's move on to the semifinals. We did see MIBR versus Na'Vi. Some people were picking MIBR to win this, and uh, those hopes or predictions proved somewhat misguided. Map 1 was overpass. MIBR really didn't look very disciplined, actually, compared to Na'Vi, which is a strange thing to say because you don't normally think of Na'Vi as a completely disciplined, cohesive team. But Tarek and Stewie especially were playing a far riskier style of play than the Brazilian core, I think, traditionally play. And it really makes it clear what contributes to players like Cold Zero and Simple being such good players, that they're very careful, that they increase the odds of making an impact by playing safe and not making mistakes. And the most dominant games from those players aren't ones where they have flashy plays. They're just games where they're really safe, consistent, and continually changing up positions. If you're a long-time listener to the pod, you might remember... uh, a game I watched, about, um, I think Simple on Mirage went to about 32, 32 frags. And I was talking about it, uh, breaking it down maybe, I don't know, a dozen eps ago. What was really um, instructive to me just watching a whole long overtimey game like that from Simple's POV was that Simple was never really doing too much that was aggressive or flashy or bizarre he was actually playing some very very safe angles he was constantly finding information but he was also constantly changing up up his position if you were to play like he did in matchmaking for instance um, and you were really interested in having a massive impact on the game you might quickly get frustrated but uh, because it, it, it felt a lot of the time like he was really just playing it safe um, and uh, I think Star- Tarek and Stewie um, haven't quite got that that down yet um, and for them to really continue to find success outside of that uh, five-man puggy style they had in Cloud9 they're actually probably going to have to uh, find a completely new way of playing well maybe not who knows map 2 was dust 2 it's strange that MRBR would choose this because they just lost at 16-0 to Astralis if you recall from last step but there you go they went for it they had some cojones there Navi knew their tendencies however anti-strata them pretty hard and plus MIBR just don't seem to have communication on a very basic level they're missing on trades missing on refrags and this was another blowout MIBR only got five rounds and it's overall 
clear that the residual chemistry of this Brazilian cork can sort of get them past the looser, less experienced teams, but not past the upper tier. We also saw Australis versus Liquid in the semis, which for many was the uh, the matchup of the major as well. And a lot of people were saying this would be the best uh, game of the major, including, I think, Dupree. Due to the form that Liquid have had recently, also due to the fact that Liquid took a map off them in the challenger stage. In fact, we're the only ones to do so in the entire event. But in the end, it was a very convincing pushback from Australis. Uh, for some reason, Liquid allowed them to pick Nuke. Uh, I think Australis are undefeated for the last six months on Nukes. It's like something like 19 wins and zero losses. Uh, and this was no different here. Liquid had, did, had flashes of individual brilliance here, uh, but it was not the rehearsed adaptive drills of Australis. And they could only get uh, eight rounds. We also saw Mirage. And this is where Australis really dug the boot in and Liquid were unmasked as the far weaker team, I think. Australis just sort of abused Naf and Taco on the B-bomb site and Liquid began doing desperate dry pushes of the A-bomb site. They could only manage seven rounds. And unfortunately, I think as talented as this iteration of Liquid is, it's probably never going to be able to win too many tournaments as long as Australis are there. We will get onto that a little more when we talk about ESL1 New York, which of course does not feature Australis. But um, disappointing for some Liquid fans. Um, there's obviously something missing still from their lineup, and it may just be time and experience because you've got to remember the core of Australis have been together. I think it's Device, Dupree, and Glaive. Uh, is it Glaive or Zipniks? Oh, I always forget. Anyway, uh, that, that, that there's, there's two or three of them who've been playing together for about, I think, four years now, starting off on something like Copenhagen Wolves or... Some ridiculous team like that. Anyway, let's move on to the grand final. It was Australis versus Na'Vi, the number one team versus the number two team. And I actually have very few notes for this. Um, I wasn't able to watch it until the day after. And by that point, obviously the collective um, feeling of, uh, how should I put it, euphoria from watching a live event concurrently with a bunch of people from around the world. Uh, adds an air of something to the game, but there obviously was something else missing from this series. Once again, um, another team allowed Australis to play Nuke, and Australis just had the Navi's number all over this map. Simple kept on being the last player alive, which I thought was incredibly telling. Australis had obviously done a lot of homework as to where Simple liked to play, where he played when they were doing certain things on the map how he would react to certain pushes. And basically, he was like the last person left alive so that round after round, he was saving a gun. Um, and you know what You know what it felt like? It felt like Moneyball. I don't know if you guys have seen that or read that uh, book. It's about a guy who comes into baseball and instead of sort of going off his gut or what people think um, the best players can do, he assembles a team based on statistics. And even though they're sort of a team of like B players mathematically they win more games than a team with a few stars and some other shit players uh, now I'm not, I'm not saying that the Australia's players are B players by any means but it did feel like pure money ball the idea that this team was always playing for the highest percentages the greatest chance of winning um, which means you don't always win, but you've given yourself the lowest chance of not losing. Um, one of the rounds in here was extra, extra, extra special, and I urge you to watch this map um, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I can't remember the round. For some reason, I haven't written it down. But if you've seen it, you know, and if you haven't seen it, then watch it. It is a round when uh, Astralis are on an eco. It might even be the second round. Probably the fourth. Probably the fourth round. 
and they choose uh, to buy some CZs, force up with some juicy CZs. Navi smoke the outside and all push. They're on the seat, uh, the T side. They all push down outside into secret. At least four of them. And uh, Australis do the most incredible dancing, sort of baiting ballet, using the different hallways that are coming off the hallway that comes out of secret towards the B bomb site. It was it was quite possibly the best round, in my opinion, of the entire major, because here was a team that innovates especially in terms of their team play, and they were pulling out in a map that they were already undefeated on a completely new strat that used both innovation and team play in a way we'd never seen before, and they absolutely crushed Na'Vi in a round that Na'Vi 100% should have won. They had much better uh, utility, they had much better armor, they had much uh, stronger firepower, and they got absolutely destroyed. One of the other great rounds was where Glaive... They tried to do the same thing, put some smokes down outside and go into secret, and Glaive simply put one smoke <laughs> to block them, and it ruined their entire strat. <clears throat> and I believe that was also an eco as well. So, you know, it's it's hard for a team like Na'Vi who have such strong individual players to, uh, how, how should we say it, also battle... Um, the genius that is Glaive and, and possibly Zonic. I'm not sure who came up with strats like that. But they were actually really exciting and a lot of fun to watch. The second map was overpassed. That was also a blowout. And Simple was once again continually left alone on uh, on, on, on the bomb site he was watching and the places he was watching. So it's like the one person who has the most chance of killing you will leave him until the end when there's at least two of us left and his chance of killing those two reduces exponentially. I guess it reduces by 50%. Or I'm not a math person. Anyway, kind of amazing. It sucked to see Zeus in tears afterwards. Zeus, of course, the IGL of Na'Vi. But uh, it was awesome to see Magisk win his first major. And you could see that he didn't want to stop hugging Zonic, who I believe was the man who brought him into the lineup in the first place. Now, look. I did notice Zeus wasn't wearing his magic pajama pants for this particular major, this particular tournament. Pardon me. And if you've seen my uh, Mimi Twitter post earlier today, I did point out that uh, he was wearing his particular magic pajama pants when they won CSGO Asia Championships, ESO1 Cologne and Star Series earlier this year. So perhaps... uh, you know, I'm not superstitious, but uh, perhaps he needed to be wearing his PJs. Unfortunately, I think the uh, music was pretty terrible when these guys won. They've just won $500,000. They've cemented their place in CSGO history as the best team. They've cemented Australis as being the dominant team far and away. And then this sort of like really kind of laid back, chilled out, elevated trip hop starts. And there's confetti being blown out and cannons going off and there's i don't know how many people were in the uh, arena but i don't know let's say 10 10 15,000 people going nuts and there's like it was, it was pretty disastrous um i don't think they should hire a deaf person next time to do their music it did feel like at the end of the truman show actually um i don't know if you've seen the truman show chances are you have quite a popular film uh but at the very end the people have been watching the truman show in great suspense uh look at each other and sort of go, what else is on the telly, and change the channel. Um, Overall, I think this major wasn't as bad as some people are saying. There was a lot of call online 
that this was a boring, bad major. And um, old mate Thorin made a video saying it was the worst major ever, which is unusual for Thorin. He's not a man usually known for hyperbole. Uh, technical issues with the event aside, which don't really bother me, there was criticism of the sketches, some of the comedic sketches with Parler and the filler stuff. The sketches don't bother me too hugely either. Uh, I think that cheesiness is kind of expected and somewhat... Um, uh, somewhat expected, somewhat, um, how should I say? Well, it adds to their appeal in some ways. If they were too slick, maybe it wouldn't work. But I think um, it's probably just a sign of the uh, size of esports right now. If the leagues and the tournament owners and the tournament organizers wanted to actually make some good comedy content, they would get in good writers, uh, like staff writers for comedy TV shows. I've been a staff writer for a comedy show on TV before, and it's hard work, and it takes real skill, and it takes real talent, and it takes a while to get really good at it. It takes a lot of sitting in writers' rooms and um, realizing what's shit and what's not. Uh, and it's not just something that anyone who has been in front of the camera before can do. That said, I think as the scene gets bigger, the budgets gets bigger, the standards are going to rise. Um, and I also should say, I thought the player profiles were brilliant. Stewie2K and Rops were the ones I saw. They were slick. They were in-depth. They were actually emotional. They weren't just reportage about how this such and such player got into CSGO, how such and such had an older brother who was playing um, CSGO and they used to sneak into their room at night and then they wanted to become a soccer champion and then broke their ankle and um, became a CSGO pro in hospital. Uh, These were really slick. They were in-depth. They were emotional. uh, And they obviously got someone who just isn't a hustler with a 5D um, someone who actually perhaps had dealt in cinematic narrative before. There were also complaints as to the desk hosts and analysts. I didn't pay that much attention to that sort of stuff this major because quite a few matches I actually had to watch the next day. Being an Aussie, the time zone was basically the worst possible configuration for me. In fact, we should really give a shout out here to my co-workers who shall remain nameless for putting up with my bleary-eyed, um, grumpy, unproductive self the next day for the matches in which I actually did stay up to watch because uh, that was disastrous. It was really the worst possible um, timeline for uh, for a poor old Aussie like myself. Um, but in the end, look, I think the reason this major felt a little flat was the fact that it was the least dankest of timelines. <laughs> Uh, the number one team played the number four, then the number three, then the number two team in su- in sequential fashion and beat all of them so convincingly that a computer could basically have programmed these finals. And unfortunately, too, I would say the distance Australia's put between themselves and other teams meant that there was very little suspense in the actual games themselves. It was like the McGregor-Mayweather fight. The narrative sort of looked good going into it and the, and the analysts and the desks did good jobs of like building up, oh, MIBR, you know, they're... One, two majors, could, this could be their comeback. But in the actual fight, she was like a, a grade 10 student holding his hand out while a grade 5 wimp furiously throws air punches. And in fact, I would say some put a case quite cogently that the best match of the whole three weeks was NIP versus Stralis on Mirage, which had real tension um, and uh, went overtime twice. I think we did have 36 overtimes in the whole tournament. Went over time twice and was actually a team who was, let's say, punching above their weight and on the upwards before this tournament coming into it and looking to upset uh, the the uh, the number one team and looking like they could do it. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. <laughs> but I think this could mean um, 
in that particular instance, we might be seeing some juicy stuff out of NIP at ESO1 New York. But I won't get ahead of myself. Let's move on to the roster changes. Now, this all this madness, this post-major madness has begun with Flusher, who stood down from Fnatic. Uh, he cited in his tweet longer that he'd been spreading a lot of negativity in the past few months on the team, wanted a fresh start, and uh, was looking forward to playing with a new team, with new people, and was already feeling fresher and happier playing in a new environment, in a new country. This is, of course, uh, quite a shock to people like myself, who assumed that Flusher, JW, and Crims would never stop playing as a core and we'd be watching matches with them in their 60s well into the 2000 and what would that be 2040s uh but uh that timeline has been interrupted the dream is over and uh we're gonna now see flusher reunited with his ex-igl in the form of golden and of course automatic rush and skadoods now what's interesting is that uh if you guys remember the the uh, IEM Katowice that uh, Fnatic won, wherein Fl- uh, Golden was reinstated back in the team and went on to uh, win WSG with them. Uh, after the IEM Katowice victory, actually on stage, Flusher was basically the only one I saw sort of hugging uh, Golden in any sort of real affectionate way. And it did strike me as strange that he's a player who's just been you know, confirmed as leaving this team after Katowice, and yet these two seem to have quite a good relationship. Obviously, I am the uh, CSGO body language expert, and um, uh, I go out on a limb here when I extrapolate all sorts of various narratives from the the merest hints of body language, but uh, I'm sure you'll agree that it does... um, it does come back into the old uh, brain convo when we see these two being reunited. Obviously, Golden was not the uh, pariah in the face of all of that fanatic lineup, and it's nice to see that these two can once again work together. Now, as to whether or not this team is actually the right fit together, I just can't. I, I just do not see that at all. Um, and um, I think I'm going purely based off having interviewed Rush and uh, having interviewed Fnatic at IEM Sydney. They seem like they're from different planets, um, and I just do not know how this is going to be a winning combination. But look, stranger things have happened, and uh, who knows what's going to happen there uh, what this uh, led on to then was Scream being announced by Fnatic as a stand-in for them at ESL1 New York. They haven't confirmed him as being signed, but he is standing in, uh, which is um, which is pretty cray. I think he's uh, always been on French teams up until now, but uh, to see him with the Swedes is pretty fun. Uh, Stiko, of course, now is out of Cloud9. He was only part of that organization on a temporary basis and he uh, released the requisite twit longer um, and had perhaps uh, a little less uh, self-exoneration than the usual twit longer but I think uh, the pendulum swung somewhat too far in the other direction and this was uh, this was extra uh, self-flagellating actually um, and perhaps unreasonably he did mention the game in the major against Hellraisers on overpass where he top fragged 
and uh, and and admonished anybody who pointed out his stats as uh, and, and said that he had a good game. In fact, he told them to shut up. Um, I myself had done that in the first uh, major week episode. However, I think um, this is just a voice of disappointment. And and you know what? What was interesting about that uh, particular map actually was that. As he said himself, he was told by his teammates to just go out there and do stuff, make things happen, make plays happen. These are three pass- more passive players, Automatic, Skadoodle, and uh, Rush. They're already more supportive players. They're used to having players like Tarek and Stewie going out and making um, you know, ridiculous plays, and they wanted someone to do that. And uh, when he did it, he actually made a huge impact. He's actually a great player. Unfortunately, having been indoctrinated with the supportive mindset himself, which he said in an interview, I think it was, was with HLTV, it was very difficult for him to feel like uh, being a selfish player made any sense. Now, I think this is just a, a bad clash of too many support players. With, you know, too many supportive mindsets ruin the uh, broth, as the saying goes. Unfortunately, uh, also, the guy obviously has a huge amount of talent, uh, so whether or not he could change his his his, his own way of playing, uh, I, don't, I don't know whether that's possible. He said in his tweet longer he couldn't work out the Swedish style that uh, old mate Golden was um, trying to drum into his head. I don't think he should remain in the wilderness too long. People have already called for him to come back into mouse sports and kick out snacks. <laughs> I don't know why that would happen. Um, but hopefully... <sighs> Hasn't beat himself up too much, and um, we see him on a, on a on another team in the future. Um, there's been there's been some changes in the Australian scene. Tux has gone. The, big, the biggest, I should say, is, is Tux has gone from the Chiefs to Tainted Minds. Tux obviously is a very experienced player. Among among his achievements is um is is taking uh, Chiefs into the big stage at uh, IM Sydney in 2017. But this does mean that uh, Tainted Minds cannot have a tilt at Valve sponsored events like the major. Because Tux has a VAC ban, a previous VAC ban, um, which uh, ha- having watched a little interview with him about that seems like quite a, a series of unfortunate events. And um, as HLTV reported as well, APOC, uh, the old uh, Orpa, you may have last seen him in the show match at IEM Sydney. One of his stated goals for being on Tainted Minds was to make the major. That is no longer possible. With Chiefs being with Tux being on the roster, so uh, a bit of a uh, what it was a cognitive dissonance in that team, a bit of a double bind right now. Who knows what'll happen uh, with the Renegades as well? We've had some news. Ryu is out of Renegades. Ryu, of course, is the coach. He's looking for a pickup. I did mention on Twitter that perhaps a good home for him might be somewhere like Tyloo. Tyloo are already speaking three languages, as we know. But they have previously played with Bondic, who is speaking English, so we know it's possible. Although when I spoke to those guys at IM Sydney, there were only two of them. Uh, well, no, I guess I should say three of them who were able to speak to me. There was the uh, manager Jack, there was Excrete, and there was Bentet. So I don't know. I don't know what, what how you would have a coach who who can't communicate with two of the other players. But look, I'm fishing here. You know, maybe he maybe he needs to go somewhere like. Uh, where Nifty's apparently headed, which is the new American Envious lineup. Uh, that's just a rumor, though, so I won't comment too much on that. Um, what also has happened as of this morning is that Crystal has been confirmed as not being in Ghost in the long term and being on the open market, if you recall. Ghost put up a pretty good showing at uh, in the last few months. Crystal was brought over after being having a bit of a stoush with the top fragger sort of... Uh, 
how should I say, star of Imperial, aka Esperanto. Seems like the unfortunate victim of a bit of a uh, young man's ego, but but who knows? Who knows? I no idea what happened there. Anyway, he's now on the free market. It's a shame it didn't work out for him with Ghost. In his own words, in his own twit longer, he didn't frag uh, you know, as much as he would have liked to have. And uh, having been an IGL in the past, I don't think he will uh, stay on the open market too long as teams are always looking for IGLs. Um, that's it with the roster changes. I'm sure we'll see more basically by the time this is out. But let's move on to a little uh, preview of ESL1 New York. Now, this will uh, have begun by the time I release this podcast because, unfortunately, I have to duck out for a hot date tonight. Actually, it's just uh, drinks with an old friend, but it's much more fun to pretend it's a hot date. Uh, This is going to be the last tournament for Gambit, as we know it. Um, uh, They have previously... Well, there's been a lot of rumors that they are releasing their whole lineup, but the only confirmed um, absence post this tournament will be Hobbit. He's leaving the Shire. So if you're a Gambit fan, this is this is a last chance to get your kicks. Um, there's also another chance for the Intel Grand Slam. Um, and uh, FaZe are still in the lead with that one, although they now only have two trophies in the cabinet. They need to get four, if you remember correctly, to get the $1 million cold hard cash. And their old ESL1 New York from last year has expired, which is why they've got, they've got two. Now, they have switched to Southpaw, in the middle of their major. Um, what I mean by that is that they were basically fighting Orthodox with uh, Carrigan. Switched to Southpaw in the middle of the match. Uh, I think it was with um, Hellraisers. I forget. Uh, and uh, Nico started IGLing. So who knows what uh, form they'll be fighting in in this tournament. May just be anything goes. Uh, G2 have had more chance to practice. We may see better things out of them. NRG haven't been seen for a while, so they actually have some surprise potential. They wouldn't have many matches recently for people to watch. Um, and of course, Fnatic will be debuting with the one-tapping headshot machine, real-life anime legend Scream. Uh, Mouse Sports will be their last tournament with this lineup, I think. It can't possibly keep going as badly as it's been going with Snacks. Now, rumors were that Bialy was stepping in. Something's got to happen, right? Surely something's going to change. And of course, Na'Vi and Liquid will have a chance to regain some dignity without Astralis being at this tournament. They're obviously the favorites to win it. If uh, CSGO continues in the, uh, how should we say, mathematically predictable form that it took in the major. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to ESL1 New York. It's always a great tournament. Let's move on to a... Uh, a little preview of the Blast Pro Istanbul. Now, if I'm not very much mistaken, the Blast Pro Istanbul is the actually is, is the first big tournament to be held in Istanbul. Uh, Blast Pro was a blast last year. You remember it happened in um, oh, I think it happened in Stockholm. Don't quote me on that one, but I know SK did win it in the end. Of course, some of the highlights were Dupree on the AWP and um, Dennis standing in for Device, who was out sick. Uh, also, the stage and the content was great. So this is going to be a banger. Uh, Virtus Pro is in this one. It'll be fun to see if they've actually managed to do anything with their team since uh, their unceremonious squashage at the Zotac Cup Masters. Space Soldiers will be back. 
not having to play with their bloody coach again. So this will be a bit of redemption for them, hopefully, after the debacle that was the major. This is obviously fun to see uh, Fnatic, uh, sorry, Fnatic, Flusher in Cloud9, and whether MIBR will or will not actually have a bit of revenge here as well from the major. I feel like this is a great opportunity for revenge, these next two tournaments. Uh, Australis is, of course, in this, but I do think this is NIP's chance to make a proper dent because we did see them start to peak, I, th- I thought, at the major, and they were only kind of stopped by the fact that Australis was on that massive peak. Now, having won the major, it's possible that the muscle relaxes and um, they can't keep that level of intensity that they had at the major. And they treat this perhaps a little more like a holiday. And that's where our old mates in pyjamas swoop in and take their best trophy of the year. So fingers crossed for that. Um, that's kind of, that's the end of this episode. I've got more to say, but I actually have to go <laughs> um, for my drink with an old friend. But um, if you like the podcast, you can send me an email, thetruthatthetruthcsgo.com. You can tweet me or follow me on Twitter, at thetruthcsgo. You can uh, give me a review on iTunes. That always helps. You can listen to this podcast on Stitcher and Podbean, and I assume you can uh, leave a review there as well. You can follow it on SoundCloud. Not many people realize this, but you can become a follower on SoundCloud. You can also comment on SoundCloud. And feel free to send me any suggestions you may have for upcoming episodes. Oh, we also have a Discord. Um, We had a little bit of discussion there during the major, some civil discussion. If you'd like to join that, uh, you are welcome to. And the address is on my Twitter page. All right. Enjoy ESL1 New York. Until next time.